With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go, Let's go, Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by ESPN reporter Andrea Adelson. Andrea and I talk about the departures of Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12 to the SEC. How will those moves impact the ACC and Syracuse? Does the ACC need to make a move? Do Syracuse fans need to worry? We'll try to answer those questions. Andrea, first of all, uh, thanks for joining the podcast and, and how you doing? Thanks for having me. It has been quite a whirlwind over the last week trying to figure out what is actually happening in college sports, making a lot of calls, losing a lot of sleep uh, as we all, I think all of us in college sports are trying to figure out what's the next domino to fall. Yeah, and that's going to be one of my first questions here for you. But first of all, let's start at the beginning here. Texas and Oklahoma. To me, this kind of came out of the blue. Was was this a surprise move that you know? How did Oklahoma and Texas, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, pull this off uh, without it getting out sooner? Sooner. Interestingly, this was not supposed to get out until about eighteen months before the expiration of the grant of rights in the Big Twelve, which is set for twenty twenty five. So this leaked out even sooner than a lot of folks who have been a part of these discussions even anticipated, and they leaked out right in the middle of media days, both with the SEC and also in the ACC, where I was at in Charlotte. So while you're trying to keep track of interviews with coaches and players, suddenly everyone's scrambling because the biggest news to shake up college sports over the last decade has now broken, and everyone's trying to figure out what does this all mean? I was not as surprised for a few reasons. Number one, having lived through this in 2010 and 2011 as a Big East reporter, I think everybody understood and realized that Texas and Oklahoma were not going to be long-term solutions for the Big 12. At that time, a decade ago, they had made overtures to the Pac-12. They simply weren't happy with what was happening in the Big 12. Uh, and so there was this thought that, okay, eventually one day there's going to be a shakeup. When is it going to be? In fact, last week at ESPN.com, we wrote an entire series looking back 10 years at 
realignment. And the final story in the series was supposed to be looking ahead. When are the next dominoes going to fall? We could not run that story after the news with Texas and Oklahoma broke. The reason, of course, is where are you going to find long-term stability and financial power? And it's in the SEC. The only surprising part to me is that's the conference that ended up doing it. I thought if Texas and Oklahoma were going to make a move, Pac-12 potentially, maybe Big Ten, Texas had had conversations with the ACC 10 years ago. And in fact, in a reported story that we had a few months ago, we had athletic directors in the ACC pondering whether Texas and Oklahoma would be a, a long-term move for the ACC. It's just that the SEC accomplished it first. So the pieces were in place for this to happen. And once you start looking back and unraveling everything, it all makes sense. And everything was pointed in di this direction. I think what took a lot of people by surprise was that it was the SEC that was orchestrating it. And they've already got the most power in collegiate athletics. What does that mean for the rest of us? Okay, that's a good segue into this question then. What does it mean for the ACC? Because unlike the Big 12, where the grant of media rights was 2025, as you mentioned before, I believe in the ACC, they're extended out to 2036. So on the one hand, you might think it's going to be a little harder to pry an ACC school away. But again, you know, who knows in this uh, high-powered world of college sports these days. So what do you think just on the surface is going to be the impact on the ACC of this move? Still to be determined. And in conversations that I've had with administrators and folks inside the ACC over the last week, they're all trying to figure it out themselves. What does this mean for the future of our conference? You mentioned the grant of rights mm -hmm. and league officials believe that is going to help keep the league together, but the grant of rights has never been tested legally. So if you're a team and you start to get interest from the big 10 or the sec, those are the only two conferences I think that would have a legitimate uh, argument to pull a team from the ACC not the Pac-12, because they're in a very similar financial situation as the ACC, certainly not the Big 12. So if we're looking at who potentially could come in and take a team from the ACC, it would be the SEC or the Big 10. What would this cost to happen with the grant of rights that is supposed to legally keep everybody together through 2036? And is this something that could be potentially challenged in court so that you can get out of it and join another conference home sooner than 15 years. So that's one. Right now, it's my understanding that everyone is saying all the right things, doing all the right things. They're committed to moving forward together. But at the same time, there's also an every school for themselves mentality, right? Because you don't wanna be the last one standing in this game of musical chairs. And that's a very- We both covered the Big East. I was going to say, that's exactly what Oliver Luck told me when he was the West Virginia athletic director, what his mindset was after the Big East started to fall apart. Now, interestingly, West Virginia is in a similar situation, the Big 12, where are we going to find a home? And they've started to lobby for the ACC. So that brings us to the second part of this, right? So the first part is, can anybody leave? Will they want to leave? What's the financial ramification to that? 
The second part of it is who can the ACC add to strengthen their position? The obvious one is Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame's not going anywhere. They will remain independent until the last possible second. There is no need for them right now to join a conference, not after Texas and Oklahoma have joined the SEC. That, that doesn't mean anything to Notre Dame at this point. Okay, so right. Notre Dame is off the table. So now if you're the ACC, who adds value to your conference from a financial standpoint? What's the bottom line? Well, it's not West Virginia alone. They're certainly not going to be a team or a program or a university that you would rip up a TV contract for and the shares would grow larger divided by 15. Okay, who else is out there? Oklahoma State, Kansas, some of these schools from the Big 12. Again, bottom line, financial value added. What is it? So that's the other part of this. Is there only a handful of programs out there that can add the type of financial value that the ACC would need in order to keep pace with the SEC and the Big 10? These were discussions the ACC was having back in March. And that's when they started, we started hearing, well, Texas and Oklahoma would certainly move the needle for us. Well, now they're gone and you're not going to get Notre Dame at this point. So that's why this is such a difficult question to answer because nobody inside the ACC even knows how this whole thing is going to play out. Nobody in the SEC, nobody in the Big Ten, nobody in the Pac-12. This is a, an entirely new world. And I do think this moment requires big thinking for what is the future of collegiate athletics going to look like. That's why the SEC made this move. Now it's going to be on the other conferences to sit here and say, are we waiting for the next domino to fall? Or are we going to be the aggressors in causing the next domino to fall? I got a lot of questions on this subject, but um, I can't wait any longer. We got to get specific to Syracuse. We talked sort of about the potential impact on the ACC as a whole, but what about Syracuse here? Um, they're newbies in the ACC. Uh, to be totally honest, the football program has struggled uh, since joining the ACC. Uh, where, where does Syracuse stand in, in, in this whole jigsaw puzzle? Well, it's interesting because John Wildhack was at ESPN and involved in the television negotiations with the Big East 10 years ago, negotiations that led to the demise of the Big East as a football playing conference because the Big East simply didn't want to take the offer that ESPN presented that John Wildhack and Burke Magnus had worked to, to give them. And that's when things started to fall apart. So now he's on the opposite side of it. But he intimately knows the ramifications of television, television contracts, and those finances as it relates to realignment, because he lived it before on the other side. So I think that's actually an advantage for Syracuse, because they have somebody running their athletic department who knows exactly how things like this go, who's lived it before, who understands that a lot of times there's outside factors involved that might lead a school to make a decision that on the surface, you might think, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but perhaps that school thinks it makes sense for them, not for the conference as a whole. And that's really the challenge, I think, in all of this is a lot of people that I've talked to have said, 
this is bad for college athletics and what are we doing and everything's falling apart when you have this mentality of every school for themselves. But that's always been the mentality, right? Yeah, we can sit here and talk about what's the greater good, but conference realignment has been a part of the fabric of collegiate athletics from the time the first conferences started. And you look at the first iteration of the SEC, it looks nothing like the current iteration of the SEC. Same thing for the ACC. The Big 12 has been several different (laughs) iterations with different conference names. So the only thing that we should expect is change. And to go along with that change, the question becomes, what's best for my school? Is it the conference that I'm in right now? Do I provide value to another conference that might be better in another conference than where I'm situated right now? And I think these are all questions that athletic directors themselves are having with their university presidents and their constituents with people they might know on the TV side about where do you think we all fit in this landscape because everybody wants to have a place in it. The issue is going to be there aren't going to be enough places for everybody uh, to be able to have the sort of playing field that we've all been accustomed to seeing. I think the playing field is probably going to shrink even further uh, because of what the SEC has started to trigger. Okay, so playing field shrinks further. And what one scenario out there is we end up with four 16 team conferences, and you got a nice tidy number of 64 schools that are banded together. And so they're, they're making tons of football money. And hey, you know what? 64 is actually a perfect number to have a bracket for a tournament uh, for basketball. Yeah. Um, the Los Angeles Times earlier this week took four of their writers. And they did like a mock draft of schools to put them in the four 16 team leagues. Now, I had a few issues with some of the picks, but around here, a few people I talked to were at DEFCON 5 because Syracuse wasn't one of the 64 schools picked. I don't know if you saw that exercise. I thought it was fun and cool. Could Syracuse get left out of this big picture scenario? Who knows? I have no idea. I wish I did have an idea so that we could uh, talk about it uh, with a more informed uh, opinion. Right now, we're obviously all just speculating at this point. It's interesting that you bring up Syracuse and basketball, though, because that's a part of the discussion that nobody is having right now. And it's because football drives the money train. And if anything, This has shown us how diminished basketball has become in terms of value. 10 years ago, the reason the Big East fell apart was because football money had grown so large that it wasn't feasible to have the Big East together as a football basketball entity. But now, 10 years later, basketball is diminished even further because of the gobs of money that have been thrown to leagues that have the premier football programs. And now with college football expansion set on the horizon, which is not controlled by the NCAA, going to 12 means more money going to football. And so all of these moves now are strategically driven solely by football. 
Nobody in the Big 12 sat here and said, oh, man, what's going to happen to Baylor basketball now that, that this is happening? And they've been terrific in basketball recently with the teams that they've had competing for championships. Uh, so that's one of the discussions. In fact, I had an athletic director tell me that the other day. Nobody's talking about the basketball aspect. Well, the reason nobody's talking about the basketball aspect is because 99.9% of the money is in football right now. And so if we're talking about a scenario where there are only 64 in a power league that has satellite conferences, all, all affiliated with each other, then you're probably going to look at who are the top 64 football programs right now. Is Syracuse one of the top 64 football programs right now? No. So Honestly, yeah, if if they're in, they're right on the cut line. They're like the basketball team every March. They're on the bubble. They're on the bubble, right? So that's so I understand why the LA Times on the West Coast, probably not as familiar with Syracuse football as you and I, yeah. would leave out Syracuse in favor of, I did not see every team that was drafted, but maybe UCF was one of the teams that ended up getting drafted. They definitely maybe, were. Okay. All right. So, but we could say the same thing for maybe a Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt gets baked into the system because they're already part of the SEC and they're not getting kicked out. Right. So you have certain schools like that, that are going to get an automatic free pass, even though they haven't been relevant in football in quite some time. And Syracuse has better football tradition than Vanderbilt does, but because they're in the most powerful conference and the most powerful football conference right now, Nobody's talking about whether Vanderbilt football is on the bubble or Vanderbilt is on the bubble. It's in conferences that have a weaker standing like the Pac-12, like the Big 12, and, and really like the ACC right now. And I'm going to put the ACC in that category because of where the money is. You would like to think that the ACC will make it through this, and I really hope that they do. But at the same time, the SEC and the Big 10 have so much more money right now from their television deals than the ACC that it's a legitimate concern that there would be some AC schools looking around to say, I don't know, can we get out of this grant of rights? What if I'm getting told that I can make double the money in the SEC or the Big Ten? What do I do? I want to keep the ACC together, but I want to make sure my program is relevant. So I'm sure these are the um, the ways these athletic directors are having to think about this and these university presidents, I'm hopeful that we will have the ACC. Uh, I'm hopeful that they're going to be one of the ones left standing. I think the Big 12 is in serious trouble. I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. Is there some kind of partnership that can be formed between conferences so that they can stay viable for the long term? But I think a lot of this from the SEC's perspective is built around the recent frustrations with the NCAA and this building notion that we need to split off. And this has been a discussion point for years and years now, but the last year with no leadership at the top at all in the middle of a pandemic and then with the tournament situation and then with name, image, and likeness and the Supreme Court loss, all of this came to a head where we started to see SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey get more and more vocal about needing a split and needing to have the bigger schools do things for themselves. And I think what we're seeing with Texas and Oklahoma is only the beginning 
and is going to result in the true split that we've been hearing about, because I think that's now what folks in the power positions in collegiate athletics feel is what's best moving forward. I want to, I want you to help me take some folks out, uh, out there. I want to take them through this potential process in terms of the SEC and some of the ACC schools. Let's say the SEC was looking longingly at Clemson and or Florida State. Now, a fan might say, well, why does Clemson want to go to the ACC? They're going to get their heads bashed in by Alabama and Auburn and all these other SEC schools. In the ACC, they got a much easier road to a playoff, and that's true. But the money gap between the SEC and the ACC is so great, and it's probably going to get bigger soon. Um, do Clemson officials look at that and go, pretty soon we won't be able to, to keep up with SEC schools because we just, you know, we're not making nearly as much money. Our, our slice of the pie in the ACC isn't there. Is that the ACC's concern in terms of keeping programs like Florida State and Clemson at home? Absolutely, because right now the ACC just cannot compete from a financial standpoint. And this is something that they have talked about for months and months now. When Jim Phillips came in as the commissioner of the ACC, one of the first talking points was we have to elevate football. We have to put more of a priority on football. And that's not to denigrate basketball, but it's to say we know what drives the train and it's football. And in order to get more money out of a TV contract or a better TV contract, the football product has to be better. And in the ACC, it simply has not been at the level of what the SEC is. Now we could sit here and talk about the reasons why. And there's a very clear distinction in the ACC compared to the SEC with the types of programs that are in the ACC. You have much smaller private schools in the ACC than you do in the SEC. And so that's part of the reason why perhaps the football product hasn't been there. There has been an emphasis on basketball and some of those other places and basketball means more in some of those other places. And it always will. And no matter how much you want to elevate football, you're not going to change that. So how can we make sure that the entire product or at least our football tradition, rich schools yep. are competing at a level where we need them to compete at when we're talking about Florida state, specifically Miami and yep. Virginia tech, yep. they, they have to be where Clemson is. In the SEC, you have that with Georgia. Uh, Florida has made some strides, obviously. Uh, LSU has been there. Uh, Auburn has won championships, right? So there have been teams in recent history in the SEC, more than just Alabama, who've won national championships. And in the ACC, it's just Clemson and Florida State. And Florida State has been down now for the last six years. So that's a problem. And trying to fix this financial gap is also a huge problem because Dino Babers told me this uh, during a very candid conversation. His issue with the financial gap is not so much the facilities. It's really not about that. It's about the fact that he can't hang on to assistant coaches because they can pay more in the SEC. And so he's having to work five times as hard to find a diamond in the rough coach and once that coach is really good, he's going to go to the SEC or to the Big Ten because they can pay more. That's a natural byproduct of the financial gap. 
And so at a place like Syracuse, it's been frustrating for him to be able to keep the type of cohesive staff that he wants and build out the staff that he wants because the money in the ACC to be able to do that, it just isn't there. And I've heard similar complaints from other ACC coaches as well. You know, Pat Narduzzi told me the other day, it's not about the money. Who cares about the money? If you run a good program, you're going to win anyway. But the vast majority are paying attention to what that bottom line looks like because they believe it affects their ability to hire coaches, to recruit, to do everything that you need to do to put together uh, a program that appeals to 17 and, and, and 18 year old young men. And that's the ultimate issue. And be, if you're at Clemson, you have everything that you need right now. You do. You're at the top of your game. You're winning championships. That gap maybe doesn't affect you as much because your program at Clemson is able to bring in money beyond what the television contract is. Be very profitable aside from TV. Okay. But their rival is South Carolina. And where is South Carolina? They're in the SEC. So they don't want to see their rival now start to pull further and further and further and further away financially than where they are. The flip side of it, though, is if you're South Carolina, why would you vote to allow Clemson <laughs> to join your conference? It's one thing with AM and Texas and that dynamic. AM was a new guy on the block and yeah, no power. They were going to take Texas no matter what. But in the case of South Carolina versus Clemson, it's not just South Carolina. If you're Georgia, do you want Clemson joining your conference? You probably don't. If you're Florida, do you want Clemson coming in there? Probably not because Georgia and Florida are two of the primary places that Clemson has been recruiting and taking players from them. Why would you now invite them in to say, oh, we'll just give you equal money to what we're already getting so that you can be even more powerful than you already are right now. So that's one part of it that I think is fairly interesting that might be different for a Clemson or a Florida state, for example, Florida, why would Florida want Florida state in there? Uh, why would Georgia, why would Alabama think about the schools that probably wouldn't want them in there? Because Realistically speaking, they don't need Florida State and Clemson right now. Right. Not after the move they just made. Not after the move they just made. Now, down the line, if they have designs on a 20-team conference or a 32-team conference, a mini NFL, so to speak, well, sure, absolutely you can see it because they're going to want to bring in the most powerful programs that are out there. But at least for right this second, I think the best way to say it in terms of Clemson and, and Florida State is it's complicated because it's not just the grant of rights and it's not just what's the money look like. You've also got the politics side of it from the SEC's perspective with some of the schools that may fight the move because they don't want them joining the conference right now. We're coming up on the end of our, our time here, uh, Andrea, but I got two quick questions. Timeline. What, 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 what fall, what year is it when Texas and Oklahoma play their first football games in the SEC? Before 2025. 
I really truly believe that they will be able to get out of that deal at some point. I can't imagine it will be a tenable situation for us to go through this over the next three years. I can't imagine the Big 12 wants to sit through this for the next three years because they're going to want some clarity for themselves on what their situation is going to be. How can you move forward when you're tethered to the past? It's very hard to do that. So my guess is that they're going to have to come to terms to be able to allow those two teams to start before 2025 in the SEC. And what's the next big move we hear? That one, I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that. I would be furiously typing on my laptop right now. But honestly, the phrase I've heard from multiple administrators that I've talked to over the last week is it's wait and see right now because they're trying to figure out which is going to be the conference that makes the next move. I do not think it's going to be the SEC. I think the SEC is fine with being at 16 right now and seeing how the landscape shakes out. But we've been wrong a lot about realignment before, and we'll be wrong about realignment again, because a lot of these conversations are happening behind closed doors and there are power players and power brokers involved and there's maneuvering and things that you expected to happen somehow don't happen because somebody swoops in at the last minute to change things. So I don't know. I think the PAC 12 is going to have to figure out what they're doing. I know there are some schools in the PAC 12 or looking at their future and is our future here? Do we need to try and make a play for the Big Ten or the SEC? I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are more like-minded just from an academic perspective. So maybe that's a partnership that fits. You know, I've heard that Big Ten presidents don't just want to sit still as the SEC grows in power and stature because the Big Ten wants to compete with them in that realm. So it's wait and see. And I just hope that collegiate athletics is in a better spot when we come out of it than we are right now. And I think it'll be fine. Everybody is upset. And I understand that everybody is wondering what's going to happen, but there has been continual change throughout the course of the hundred plus years of collegiate athlete athletics and They always live to play another day. Might look a little different, but I think all these teams and programs are going to live to play another day. Yep. And 2030, no matter what conference Syracuse is in, Jim Beheim will be the head coach. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to see him moving around on the sideline in 2030. (laughs) Flailing his arms and ripping off his jacket. (laughs) I can't wait. Andrea, this has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for the uh, knowledge and the insight. Um, you know, uh, just I guess, you know, hang on to your hat, right? And uh, we'll see where everything ends up. But thank you again. And hang on to your phone. That's where all the <laughs> magic happens. Thanks for having me. All right. Sounds good. I want to thank Andrea for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.